Hello, hello. Welcome to the Human Behavior Show. And here's your host, the digital doctor, otherwise known as Dr. Save MTS. And I've launched this Human Behavior Show and I hope to be bringing some high-quality content, interviewing a lot of guests, psychologists, startup founders, VCs, um, people in the health space, as well as people in tech and artificial intelligence. However, in between these episodes, which are going to be 30 minutes long, I'll be doing some masterclasses where I'll delve deep into a topic of expertise, and you'll just kind of hear my voice, and it'll be kind of a 30-minute masterclass. So that's what I hope to kind of, you know, bridge the gap between having content where you learn about decision-making, about one of our guest lives, and then also diving deeper into a topic where we can just kind of, you know, unpack it and get to the crux of, you know, some interesting content. On Clubhouse, there's a lot of demand on, you know, certain topics, and, and I'm a board-certified lifestyle medicine doctor, and you're probably wondering what that means. So that means I specialize in nutrition, exercise, sleep medicine, stress management, as well as behavior change. And that's why it kind of led me to make the show, The Human Behavior Show. So these five elements are really important in us living a healthier life, a happier life, and a longer life. And I often talk about this with my patients and my clients. How can we use these aspects or how can we optimize these aspects, optimize our health in order to perform better in our day-to-day lives? And that's what this masterclass is going to be about. We're going to go through the different elements, nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress management, and then some behavior change approaches and, and see what works. So I'm really excited to be kind of bringing this here on Colin app um, and having it on this podcast. I think this would be a very useful tool for people to kind of just listen to and refer back to um, when they need some inspiration or they want to be knowing what they can be doing day to day to help improve their health. So let's kind of get started. And if anyone has any questions, feel free to drop in the chat or call in. Um, I'll bring you up on stage and I can answer any questions um, that you may have. So starting off, why is it important to live longer? So there's a lot of talk about health span. That's how long we live, lifespan, how long we live. And I talk a lot about health span. So health span in the opposition of lifespan is how well you can live longer, right? There's no point living to 90 or 100 if for 30 of those years you're going to be, you know, almost disabled or you're not going to have a high quality of life. Whereas in health span, you're trying to achieve a good baseline of health for longer. So it's better living to, say, 80 or 85 and you're healthy to about, you know, 78. That's a lot more valuable to someone. So that's where we talk about health span. And... I'm going to go through some of the things we can do to prolong our health span. A lot of the research in longevity, which is, you know, living longer science, comes from the blue zones. And the blue zones are zones around the world. You have places like Okinawa. You have places like Sardinia. 
and many others where you find people who live quite regularly to the age of 100, right? 100 being quite a normal age. And there's a few factors that contribute to this. And what the researchers have found is that, A, they eat a non-processed, mostly plant-based diet. B, they're active. They're not very sedentary. They're walking around all day. C, they sleep seven to nine hours with the, with the sun. Low levels of stress. They're not connected to, you know, the technology, uh, their work lives, they're less demanding. Um, and that contributes to that. And then five, the sense of community. They really have a sense of strong purpose and social community. And it's said that these five factors together help them stay healthier for longer. And that's where you see lower levels of certain diseases present in these populations. And you see them quite regularly living a longer life. With that, I want to kind of talk about what we can be doing to help us live a healthier life. And you've probably heard a lot about many different, you know, health fads, um, you know, topical areas that are coming out in like telling people how to live longer. If anyone follows Silicon Valley and you follow the entrepreneurs, a lot of them are very, very interested in what can be done in prolonging their lives. So there's a lot of things that are happening out of there, but I can't really promote any of those. So some people might have heard, for example, people taking metformin to prolong life or taking blood transfusions from younger people or even trying things like cryotherapy, saunas, um, many different things that are said to be beneficial. Um, by the way, this is not a promotion of any of these things, just think that big interest for humans to try and kind of extend this way of living and overall be healthier. And that's why you're seeing a lot of investment and a lot of tech companies who are now becoming interested in this space and trying to innovate to bring out different solutions to help people track their lifestyle, look at their genetics and their genome, and therefore try and hack their way to living longer. Now, we know our lifespan is dictated by our genetics, and we say that's about 30%. Certain genes that you have um, you know, enable you to live longer than other people, certain mutations. But most of it, 70% of it is down to your lifestyle. And genes are modifiable. We call it epigenetics. That's when genes are turned on and off, and your lifestyle factors change the expression of your genes. So therefore, we know lifestyle becomes increasingly important, and that's what we're trying to focus on in this session. So we'll kind of get started, and I want to kind of cover this for about you know, 10 to 15 minutes before we kind of start rounding up. I don't want this to be pretty concise, something you can take things away from and find it beneficial in what you implement in your day-to-day life. So, as I said, if there are any questions, if anyone wants to ask anything specific, drop it in the chat or come up and ask me a question. So, getting started, let's start off with pillar number one, nutrition. So nutrition is a really interesting space. There's a lot of debate. 
nutritional studies are hard to conduct, hard to do randomized control trials, mostly observational studies, hard to control confounding variables. You have tribes, tribalism, you have people interested in keto, people interested in low fat, low carb, paleo, um, you know, Atkins, there's so many different diet types that just get a lot of hype and buzz. And you'll see people are religiously following them. Then there's fasting regimes, uh, you know, 5-2, 8 uh, so many different, you know, regimes that people um, almost swear by. And then you have a lot of research that comes out. One day eggs are good for you, second day eggs are the worst that you could be having. Um, so it can get pretty conflicting for the regular person to try and interpret. So we'll go start off with the very basics of, of nutrition here um, in, in this episode. So essentially, um, what you want to be doing is having a diet which is sustainable, something you can stick to. With the amount of processed foods we have around us, it's very difficult to maintain a very strict diet. So what I like to aim for is 80% non-processed diet or unprocessed diet and 20% you can kind of, you know, maybe opt for processed foods. And I find that is a lot more sustainable with a lot of my patients and my clients. So what forms the basis of, of a good diet? So the best thing is to kind of first work out a lot of online calculators, work out your total daily expenditure, which includes your basal metabolic rate, which is the amount of calories your body is uh, burning at rest. And then, you should be consuming in a day. You can then download an app, like MyFitnessPal, to track your calories. You're at that point or below it. If you're trying to lose weight, we say you want a calorie deficit, about 500 calories per day, which is about 3,500 calories in a week. And that'll help you lose about two pounds a week. And that's a sustainable way to have weight loss. Because remember, weight loss can happen over six months, but the real key is to be able to maintain that weight loss across two years. And that's when we classify something as sustained weight loss. So two year being that key metric. So you've got the key metrics, you've got the, you've got the key calories that you're looking at. Then you want to look at your macros. So you want to be looking at your carbs, your protein, and your fats. You want to be opting for foods with, you know, a very low glycemic index, things that your body is going to you know, process and not going to get those glucose sp- spikes, avoiding things like white breads, cakes, pastries. That's not going to be good for you. And opting for more whole grain options, seeded breads, oats, wheat germ, things like that. Things that, you know, are not going to spike your glucose levels. So that's kind of the basis of your carbs. In terms of protein, you want to be trying not to eat too much meat, but you want to be trying to aim for about 1.5 grams of protein per kilogram. And if you're bulking or trying to gain muscle, it'll be more than that, about 2 grams per kg. So that would be what we'd be opting for. And there's a lot of protein options, and you'd be trying to get fish at least twice a week for your omega-3s, very important fish oil uh, for your brain health and um kind of essential for memory and things like that and then with that um, in terms of your fats you can opt for good fats things like avocado have good fats you'll be minimizing very fatty foods you know creamy uh, substances or very you know sugary foods so with fat there are a lot of good options as well we need fat because it's essential to 
absorb your vitamins A, D, E, K, which are fat soluble, which means they need fat to be absorbed. Then with that, you can kind of throw in probiotics. You can throw in things which are good for your microbiome, your gut health. We know there's a lot of emerging research around the gut-brain connection and your microbiome becoming key for your health. So you can throw in certain foods such as kefir, kombucha, as well as sauerkraut. So these are some of the options that are really good for your um, microbiome. So these are some things I recommend. And on top of that, I would definitely recommend people taking a vitamin D supplement. Don't over-supplement, but take a vitamin D supplement. It's very hard to get. Something like these days, we're indoors, so 100% would advocate for one of those. And you can get your vitamin D levels checked as well if you're, if you're wondering um, if you're deficient, right? So with nutrition, we've covered a few things there. It's the very basic elements of you know a good diet, and that's what I would recommend to most people. That's sustainable for them to stay healthy, and um, to live, you know, a better life. Um, and obviously, with that, also stay hydrated. Drink about two liters of water a day. We know hydration is key for cognitive performance. You know, uh, for your brain to be working well. So definitely something uh, people should be looking at. And I recommended my fitness pal. Pretty good to track. Also, my smart plate, another one you could be using, another device comes as well. And if you're interested in tracking glucose. As I know a lot of people might be, there's companies like Levels um, or Very that you can use um, to track how your glucose responds to different foods because we're all physiologically different and we have different responses to different foods. So therefore, it might be worth knowing what spikes your glucose as opposed to someone else. So that's what I would do for nutrition. Obviously, it's very simplified, very basic right now. And you could you know, consult a dietitian or nutritionist for in-depth um, you know, nutrition or we could do a further masterclass just on that but but basically that's what you want to be doing so next up would be um exercise or physical activity very very important in functioning healthily right and living longer so there's a lot of different components to physical activity first being cardiovascular exercise a lot of people talk about zone zone two training which is when your heart rate is about that 70% of your max heart rate. And that has been shown for people to kind of help them live longer, uh, whereas zone one can become quite excessive. And zone two is also the fat burning zone as well, so you burn more fat. And we know a low body fat percentage is associated with a longer life. Um, so zone two training is very good. Aerobic exercise can also be measured with metrics such as your VO2 max, which is a very important indicator. And you can kind of use that now on wearable devices and work that out. Um, it's available on kind of things like the Whoop and the Apple Watch. Um, so the VO2 max is a very good indicator. But in a week, you want to be aiming for at least 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise. That'd be something which you can do whilst doing it. You can um, comfortably, you know, uh, talk. Um, that's moderate intensity or 75 minutes of vigorous exercise a week. And that's exercise where you're even struggling to talk. That's how intense it is. And we measure exercise in METs. You don't have to worry about that. But you want to be trying to trying to hit a higher MET level. And the, the basic guidelines are 75 minutes a week um, of vigorous exercise or 150 minutes of moderate intensity exercise. Obviously, the more you do, you're better. And we see there's an effect of physiological and health gains up to about five hours a week. And that's kind of the cutoff where it starts to level off. So obviously doing more is better. So aerobic exercise is very, very important for us 
to be healthy, keep our heart healthy, keep our lungs healthy as well. Then secondly, strength training. And strength training is recommended twice a week at least. So training all your muscle groups, your legs, your upper body, very important. And we know that muscle is a longevity organ. The more muscle you have, the higher basal metabolic rate you have. Therefore, you burn more calories while you're at rest. So while you're still sitting there, there not doing anything, you're burning calories, right? So muscle becomes super important for us to kind of function, also live longer, helps with things like posture as well, um, and is super important. I think it's underemphasized in a lot of people, um, especially women, this should definitely be weight training. Definitely also good for your hormones, testosterone boosting, and things like that. Next, um, you also want to incorporate things like stretching, something maybe like yoga or pilates, very important for your joints, mobility. Um, do that at least once a week, preferably more. Really important to stay mobile as we get older and good for balance and proprioception, things like that. So definitely want to be focusing on that. And it's really interesting because people mostly think that, um, you know, sitting down, they're fine as long as they have a workout session. The research actually shows if you're sedentary, not moving around every hour, it's, a, it's, it's, it's like smoking a certain number of cigarettes a day. That's how bad sedentary lifestyle is for your life. And that's why you shouldn't be sitting or, or lying all day. You know, the work can be working from home, but it, it doesn't offset that. Just exercising doesn't offset that risk factor. You want to be moving throughout the day until unless you're sleeping. So that's very important. And then the emerging research has shown that pretty conclusively. So I would say keep moving and get around. So that's kind of the basics of kind of like an exercise program, um, physical activity, how important it is to live longer. Obviously, we can do a specific one to get a physiologist on exercise, personal trainer on, and we can go more in depth of kind of the exact benefits of exercise and how to live longer, like we could do with nutrition as well. Um, so these two pillars are kind of what most people talk about and and they're key. And as, as we've got like, you know, 12 minutes left, I will be moving on. But I hope physical activity and nutrition is kind of... Um, clear to everyone what things you can be doing to be healthier and live a longer life and for exercise there are apps out there now as well i use the whoop tracker it tracks quite well um you know you're moving around i found it a pretty good tracker a pretty good app um, i had will ahmed on my human behavior club three billion dollar company now so i'm definitely an advocate for something the whoop keeps you accountable um you can it tra- tracks all types of activity i played tennis today give me a good score of my strain score so I find that pretty good. And you can also find online fitness training apps as well, Fitio being one as well that I've tried. So definitely good to be tracking your physical activity. So the third pillar, let's move on to sleep. And I do work as a sleep doctor. I work as a sleep doctor at a company called Crescent Health. So if anyone's interested, they can book in with me. Just DM me on Instagram and I will hook you up. Um, I'll book in a call with me for a sleep consultation because sleep is getting more and more important and recognizing the importance of sleep especially in the pandemic uh, sleep has become kind of that fundamental of health that was often ignored we had hustle culture from entrepreneurs who didn't realize or recognize the importance of sleep and they were like oh we can just sleep five hours a night that's a sign of kind of bravado a sign of you know strength but really they were doing themselves an injustice we know with a lack of sleep we can't function um, cognitively as well. We could. Our reaction times are slowed. Memory formation is down. Our um, mood is affected as well. 
um, you know, more likely to react. The part of our brain called the amygdala, our fear response is heightened. Therefore, we can get angry quicker. We don't kind of make the best decisions. So really, you're doing yourself a disservice by kind of missing out on sleep. It's definitely not the trend now, and we're seeing more and more sleep companies form. I did the pilot study for Eight Sleep, a sleep company with a smart mattress that uses thermoregulation for sleep. And I worked with a lot of sleep clients, and I still do now at Crescent Health. So I'm all about optimizing people's sleep. So very basically, our sleep follows a cycle uh, called your body clock, which is your circadian rhythm dictated by a hormone we have called melatonin. Melatonin rises, you fall sleepy. Often when it's dark, the sun goes down. And then when um, the sun comes up, you have melatonin going down and cortisol going up, which is your fight or flight hormone. You're ready to go, get started for the day. Your sympathetic nervous system is getting activated. So that's how the body clock works. And your body is primed for different things at different times of the day. For example, weightlifting is around evening. You're pretty good. You know, you maybe have better, you know, cognitively earlier in the day. And we can have chronotypes, which are natural variations of when you may wake up and sleep. And you can have types such as the night hour, which is late. You can have the early morning lock. Um, so there's different variations between humans. But a skating rhythm cycle is your body's way of basically um, your sleep-wake cycle. And this often gets affected with jet lag and a lot of travel we have these days and there's things we can be doing to mitigate that. So essentially with sleep, what I say is that if it varies from person to person, you should be aiming for about seven to nine hours of sleep night. That's kind of what we want to be doing. That's kind of key. And um, it does vary. And oversleeping can be bad for you. More than 10 hours we know is bad for you. It can lead to things like obesity, um, slowing down your metabolism. Um, but sleep is essential as for the reasons I described earlier. And it's the two most important factors is one, light. You want to get as much light in the morning as possible. That's what helps wake you up. And you want to get complete darkness after you know sundown. And, and that contrast is what helps melatonin be released. And that's what helps you sleep better. Now, there's different stages of sleep. You have... Um, non-REM sleep and REM sleep. REM is rapid eye movement sleep. So your body cycles five times throughout the 90 minute cycles. First, you have the light stage of sleep, non-REM, right? And you go to deep sleep and then you get into REM sleep, which is where a lot of consolidation, a lot of processes in the body occur, physiological processes occur. And that cycle repeats. You want to try and get through four or five cycles. Now, there can be things that can affect that, obviously. So light being one, and if people don't get enough light, they can use things like the Philips Hue light. It's pretty good. Shine it in your face in the morning for half an hour. Really helps. And then second being temperature. We know cooler temperature helps go to sleep. So that's why often when people take a bath, they take a hot shower, they come out, their body rapidly cools, and they feel sleepy and they find it easy to sleep. So temperature is very important. And that's why eight sleep mattresses really help. And, and if you want a consultation with me, you can definitely book in a sleep consultation with me and I will kind of talk through your habits, your behaviors, and try and help change them and track them as well. So um, that's kind of two of the key things for sleep. Then, obviously, you want to avoid meals and exercise three hours before bed. It can really affect your sleep, have an impact on the quality of your sleep. So that's definitely a no-no. Avoid alcohol three hours before bed. Alcohol really affects your REM sleep, your rapid eye movement sleep. So that's definitely a no-go zone as well. And then you can be trying different things. People try things like weighted blankets, white noise, pink noise, um, you know, certain things like lavender, um, magnesium supplementation. Some people really helps them with. And all these things help yoga nidra. 
So there's a lot of different things we can try. And I walk through my patients and my clients through these sleep strategies and kind of hope to be doing that if you're interested in kind of signing up with me. And I use the Aura Ring and the A-Sleep mattress to track my sleep. So I believe in tracking a lot. So my Aura Ring is pretty good, gives me a sleep score in the morning and I can work out, okay, was that good sleep? Was it not good sleep? My A-Sleep mattress is the same as well, but it also adjusts the temperature for my optimum temperature. So I really like the A-Sleep mattress. But your Aura Ring also has a metric called your heart rate variability that we'll go into in, in the stress section next. But um, it's a very important indicator as well. So with sleep, there's some of the things, the basic things you can be doing. There's a lot more advanced things you can be doing that we'll go into in a, in a further episode dedicated to sleep. But these are some of the main things we look at. Avoid light late on, get as much light as morning, temperature control. And you can try some of those things that I mentioned to help with sleep. So I hope that's helped so far. So we've got about five minutes remaining. So we've covered nutrition, we've covered exercise or physical activity, and we've covered sleep which i think is actually the most important pillar and what we've been missing out on for uh, more than two decades now right the average american sleeps around six hours should be a lot higher than that and i think it, it, it does show so finally we go on to stress stress management we know we live in a very stressed world a lot of technology notifications completely overwhelmed a lot of work to do less time relationships etc so stress is really interesting because it affects our mental health and we know mental health is really affecting the pandemic. So obviously we want some stress. Some stress is good for us. We call it eustress. Stress helps us perform, triggers your sympathetic nervous system. So you have two parts of your nervous system. Your sympathetic nervous system, which is your fight or fight, fight or flight response and your parasympathetic nervous system, which is your rest or digest response. So it makes you calm down, Right. And you want these two to be in balance. You want a bit of sympathetic activity that's ready to go. You're ready to perform. You're going to work well. Helps you, you know, um, reaction time to help you memorize things. So that's really important. But when stress gets too much or overwhelming or beast that threshold, we can call into clinical states of, you know, being burnt out and things like that. And your parasympathetic nervous system helps you relax, you feel calm. Things like, you know, deep breathing, meditation really help with that. So what can we be doing to kind of help with stress? So... I know one thing which helps with sleep as well, which ties in is journaling, write down all your thoughts. It kind of offloads your brain. It's tend to really help with stress. Then um, also trying things like deep breathing. Box breathing is a very popular technique. You can Google that. Very good. It activates your vagus nerve. You take a deep breath and activates your parasympathetic nervous system and you feel calmer straight away. Big fan of breathing techniques and box breathing. And then meditation, you've got apps like Calm, headspace one i really advocate is called othership app really good meditations on there and breathwork sessions on there so definitely incorporating some form of medication meditation or um breathwork in your life day to day will really help with your stress and help mitigate you know stressful times i mean we you need stress to perform better right and to do better but when we need to avoid it becoming overwhelming so definitely that's there's some really good tools you can be using to help with stress also relationships relationships is key so relationships is uh, what i often class as something which is really important that we don't consider we know the research shows that bad social ties or loneliness can really increase levels of inflammation in the body interleukin 13 which is you have to worry about an inflammatory market increases and we know humans are not built to be lonely and it's the worst thing that can happen for you right and having positive, good relationships in your life can really help you be healthier, live longer, better health outcomes. Uh, it really is good for your health. 
So you want to be really important how you manage your relationships, ensure you're socializing, um, making time to socialize and meet people. That's really important for your health as well, as well as your mental health. So it becomes essential in helping you live longer. And I give the example of Blue Zones, and we know the strong sense of community really helps and reflects in studies with health outcomes. So friendships are really good. You're picking the right partner, compatibility, something really important to consider for your happiness as well as your health. So that's something that is actually super, super important. Um, and, you know, people need to, need, to, need to work more on that. So we've discussed a lot today. We've talked about nutrition, exercise, sleep, stress management, and then we've talked about social relationships, the five pillars of lifestyle medicine that I like to call that help you live a healthier, longer life. And kind of the things that bring it together is behavior change. And we'll kind of do a special episode on this one, which we dedicate some time. And behavior change is something that we can really help with sticking to these habits. We know habits fade. We know the average habit takes about three months to form, um, you know, can some say six months to form and to sustain. And a lot of things we can be doing to help form habits, healthy habits. And, you know, using these apps, I'm a big fan of technology, helps you stay accountable, staying in a community, um, really, really important then lowering the barriers to be doing something, and then also kind of incentivizing yourself, rewarding yourself to do something really helps stick healthier. Not taking on too much, having smart goals, things that are achievable, specific, measurable, um, time-related, and realistic really helps. Definitely that's how we set goals. And I'd recommend BJ Fogg's model. So search of BJ Fogg. He's a Stanford behavioral scientist. And he his, his book, Tiny Habits, is absolutely brilliant for someone trying to make health change. So I think we've covered a lot today and I hope this has been useful. I hope it's been enjoyable. I look forward to be doing further, further sessions on here, focusing onto each of these pillars and getting experts as well on further podcasts. But I thought I would start off with like a basic masterclass so everyone is up to speed and I hope everyone takes maximum value from this and found it useful. And I hope you can implement this in your day-to-day life to help you live a better life, perform better, better at work, um, you know, cognitively feel better, have more energy, have your mood uplifted, and avoid disease. So, really look forward to kind of um, um, the next few episodes coming out as well. We'll have a few guests on, but that's it for me, Dr. Sebim Tiaz, the digital doctor. I will catch everyone in the next show. See everyone. Bye.